The Over the Bonnet podcast is brought to you by Merrymark Medical, Gimpy Foam and Rubber, Luscious Licks and NICAD Earth Moving. In this episode, I get to chat to a retailer and promoter with a focus on energy and wellness. While Diane Woodstock's primary focus is on her retail outlet, Magicality, she also runs lifestyle expos and retreats. She's also an avid dinosaur hunter and history enthusiast. Over the Bonnet with Mark Peepers. <laughs> well, well, at least the guests are good. You'll never know what happens with the conversation when it's Over the Bonnet. <laughs> You're kidding me, aren't you? Di Woodstock, welcome to Over the Bonnet. Thank you for having me. You operate a store called Magicality. I do. What's it all about? We do crystals and lots and lots of oracle cards and tarot cards and all sorts of quirky things that I just buy what I like. And luckily, people like what I like. (laughs) How did it all start in the first place? Oh, goodness. My mum, many, many, many years ago, had a deck of tarot cards and she showed me how to use a pendulum. And that all just went by the by for a long time. And then I happened to be doing the accounts for the lady that owned the shop. And various things happened and I ended up buying it from her. Was there always an interest though? Nope, no, knew nothing. (laughs) Walked in the door and thought, oh my goodness, what am I doing here? My first two customers asked me very interesting questions that I knew nothing about. What were they, do you remember? Um, One of them was for a stupa, which I had, again, no idea what that was. Found out many years ago. Which is? I think it's a piece of, um, it's an Indian thing that they put on their altar because I don't know much about it. I still don't. Um, But I had no idea what that was. And the other thing (laughs) was my very first customer on the Saturday morning was looking for nipple rings. (laughs) That (laughs) was quite, I had no idea that we even did nipple rings. (laughs) Okay. But that's okay. She was a very good customer and I got to know her very well and she's lovely. (laughs) What are some of the more interesting things that you've sold over the years? Uh, not a stupid because I couldn't find one. Um, but oh, I don't know. There's just been lots of different things. We've been asked for lots of really unusual things. Um, we did have a priest come in one day and asked us for a container for holy water, which I thought was really lovely. Wow. And we found something that he could use, so that was really nice. Um, but yeah, there's just, I don't know, it's been so long because it's been 16 years now that we've had the business. So, yeah, just lots of different crystals. I like to source things for people that they're looking for that are a bit unusual. What about the people that do come in? (laughs) We have amazing, awesome people and we have some very unusual people. And of course, all the times lately, as we know for the last year, has been quite different for everybody. And so that's been a really interesting mixture of people as well. So sometimes you just go along with what they're saying, or not go along with what they're saying, but just let them talk. Um, You don't tend to have much of a Um, put forward your opinion too much sometimes because people have their own beliefs and that's what I think everybody needs to have their own beliefs they just shouldn't push it on everybody else so I have occasionally felt like I needed to bring a soapbox out either for myself or for the other person but yeah it's been very interesting discussions about beliefs on what's going on at the moment you say that there's interesting times what do you put it down to with what you're doing and what you've spoken to people about it Uh, in regards to the things that are happening in the world at the moment exactly um I don't know. I'm not a cons- I don't get involved with conspiracy things. I just live the way my life is and how I what I can do and I just try to um, do the best I can do with my own network and put that out from there. So I don't live in fear of anything. Just try to be mindful and stay safe for everybody. But you do that anyway. You know, you don't want to be passing colds and things like that on. So to me it's no different. It's just a case of being smart and staying safe. Have you noticed retail has changed because of the whole COVID situation? I think the way we do things has had to be different. Um, We have hand sanitizer at the front door and we do socially distance most of the times. 99% of the population seem to be fairly on board with it and aware of it. And luckily our shop is big enough that we have a big table in the middle of it so people can go either direction. So we have quite a good space. It would be very hard for little shops. But People still touch things, but not as much as what they did because we're very tactile in Australia. We want to feel things. And so it's been very good for us because a lot of people use crystals and oils and things like that as their toolkit, not just going to the pharmacy for things. So we've actually been very blessed. We've, We've been looked after very well. But we also 
um, just encourage people to use what feels right for them. How has your belief system changed by the people that you've been influenced by by 16 years running Magicality? I've learnt that we only hear once this time round whether people believe in reincarnation or whatever. I think we do recycle because how boring would it be not to be? Um, But I think we just need to do the best we can do this time round and have positive people around us, have people that are good for us around us, not allow other people to put us down which I do see unfortunately quite a bit come through I have a lot of people that come through our space because it's a very safe space um, that are going through very tricky times in their relationships and I feel very sad that people have to experience that sometimes and there's not always the support for them that there should be. Is that part of their journey though? It could possibly be but in a physicality it's very tricky when you come across somebody who has been in a domestic violence situation and then they don't get the backup from places that they should get the backup from. Um, and that was something that happened in the last couple of weeks. And it was so it's very raw. And you see the the injuries and the hurt and the blame and things like that, the self-blame. Um, so that can be a bit tricky. Some of the interesting people that you've had through, are there any standouts that you go, okay, obviously there was the priest that came in. <laughs> what sort of interesting people do you get through the door? Uh, I've made the most amazing friends. Um, I've met the most awesome women, particularly men as well. But in my field, I seem to mainly have women come through. And there's a lot out there. Like We don't all gel together. We don't all believe the same things. We don't all work the same way. And I'm just about to put together an expo um, in the next two weeks. And that's been quite interesting because it's the first one with the restrictions in place. And that's brought some really fascinating things to the surface. People who I didn't think would be worried about tracing, things like that, they have decided not to attend because they don't agree with tracing. Um, They don't agree that the whole thing is relevant. And that's fine because it's their beliefs. But it's, yeah, it's... it's (laughs) I've had stamping of feet a little bit because... You put a lot of work into these sorts of things and it's tricky. (laughs) When you do get a lot of people through a place, how do you manage it with the COVID situation? Well, that's what we're not... (laughs) We've got it in place. We haven't done one yet. The lady that's helping me out has already gone through an expo with regulations in place. So I'm very fortunate. So she knows what to look for. The venues are very organised with what they have to do. And because it comes back to them as well, they have to have that in place. And while we may or may not believe it or go with it or whatever, the fact is that's the rules. For me to run the event, I have to do that. And so I had a really beautiful email that came back to me the other day because I wanted to make sure who was coming before I promote them, of course, because that's what you do. And this lady said that while she doesn't necessarily agree with all of the things that are in place, she undenied about whether or not what she could bring to the event was more viable than being worried about not agreeing with the tracing, for example. So she decided that that was the greater good for her to be at the event. And I thought that's exactly how I feel. Um, I don't really care if somebody knows that I was at Gloria Jeans for coffee last Saturday. Um, Seriously, (laughs) they might know that I'm supporting local. (laughs) But um, it was really nice to read that other people are thinking along those lines as well because we do want... Everybody's looking for... Um, guidance and they just want to communicate and be with other people safely um, which is you know um, but it's very important and I think that having areas where you can do that can be very supportive because okay we can't all go and hug everybody which is very big in our industry Um, but even just having the conversations with people and being able to see their eyes ask the questions talk to somebody and know that you're making a connection is really really powerful. Do you think masks are important? I think they are very important for those people who need to have them, older people, people who have illnesses. Um, I've got a few friends that have a lot of autoimmune problems and have had that for a long time. And they actually are saying that they're the best they've ever been because we're not all hugging everybody and getting all of the passing things on. Um, So from I think there is some good things that have come from just even social distancing at the moment. As hard as it is not to have a hug, sorry. Do you think that that'll remain that sort of social distancing and stand a little bit clear? I think it will become a habit that we do. I'm a little concerned that 
people need touch as well and people that are on their own or aren't very tactile um, in their own environments it can be quite hard not to walk in and hug with somebody that you love or that you get along well with because it's just what we do when you feel comfortable doing that and it's hard not to Um, but I do think that there will always be a bigger personal space which is not a bad thing necessarily because some of us have big personal spaces and we like that. You talk about it being a tactile industry. Mm. What do you put that down to? I think I read many years ago that different cultures are different with the way that they integrate things. And I have a vague recollection in the back of my head somewhere that Australians are very tactile. We want to feel things. We want to touch things. Um, Not so much smelling and tasting, thank goodness um but there's other places and again don't uh, don't quote me since we're going on air but um i think the americans are more about um sight and smell i'm not sure but you know you see some people from different nationalities will come in they'll actually pick up crystals and smell them which i find quite bizarre some have smells some don't but it's not something you see a lot but as most australians if you watch them in a shop they'll come in and they want to feel everything. It's not a case of just looking at it. It's not enough for people. Are they smelling just in case? I don't know why they smell things. I've got a friend whose daughter licks things, which is quite bizarre. <laughs> but that's what she did as a kid. She used to come in and lick, like she'd lick her mother's crystals, which is quite strange. Is it something that you're trying to put a stop to, that sort of touching and, you know, contact with your stock these days? We did event initially, definitely. We were very mindful of it. Um, I, th- I think that people are more aware of it and so you don't get as much. They don't come and rattle through the crystals. Um, but it's, it can be a really fine line too because I did actually ask a family one time in the early days because they were literally picking everything up, looking at it under their light with their um, phones and, and basically you knew that they weren't looking for something specific. They were just in there playing really, which is okay but not when you're not supposed to be touching everything. And that was what the guidelines were at the time in the very early days. And I actually asked them not to. And the lady got really aggressive with me. And how can you buy crystals if you can't feel them? Which I agree with. Um, But they weren't there for any particular purpose. And they stormed out of the shop. And I thought, well, so be it. My rules are that you have to be mindful. Because you can't spray everything. It's like clothing shops. You can't spray everything. You have readings as well at your shop. Tell us about those. Oh, we do. I've always supported people who um, are amazing practitioners. And lots of people are looking for guidance. And long gone are the days where it's, am I going to marry a tall, dark, handsome man and have three children and win the lotto? We don't do that. You could if you wish. <laughs> if your journey is to do that, feel free. Yeah, Mary will uh, have something to say about exactly. that. But anyway, but yeah, so they're looking for a lot of guidance. Is that increasing yeah. now? Um, it always is at the beginning of every year. This year's been really interesting. My, uh, the, the ladies that are working in my shop um, have been very busy. Um, and we don't play favourites. It's just what day are you available? Who, this is the person that's there and see how you feel. So, yeah, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of searching at the moment for direction, I think. What are they looking for? Mainly direction and confirmation if they've got an idea that is it the correct path or not. When someone's coming in for guidance these days, you must have an idea. What is the most common thing that people are looking for some sort of direction on? Um, Often it's work, but it could be their path as well. You know, so many people are looking to see why are they here? What are they supposed to be doing? And I think sometimes that it's even just being a really good mother to your children or being a good person and, and talking and listening to people is just as important as somebody who's out in the world I don't know, the the people who do this at multi-levels and, you know, make it okay for people to have cards and things. That's just as important as the everyday person who can actually talk to their neighbour. I'll put you on the spot. Your Uh-oh. belief system. <laughs> your belief system. Uh, how are you integrating these sorts of things? Because obviously you're having plenty to do with these people and you'll get told certain things. How do you integrate that into your life? I don't really because... I just go with what feels right for me. And I think that's got to be with everybody. Um, Yes, there's rules and regulations, and I'm definitely a rule follower. You know, if the government says that we need to do this, then to me, you don't speed, because that's what the rules are, that you don't speed. Um, I have had an interesting discussion with a gentleman once who was very irate because he got a speeding fine, because how dare they put rules on the roads. makes no sense to me. That's If you're going to drive on the road, you follow the rules. 
Um, so for the integration of all of this sort of thing, you know, yes, okay, I wash my hands like we should be doing anyway and I do hug occasionally. I just don't hug everybody. Um, but you're very, you're just mindful of space and I've never liked to be in somebody's space anyway. So, I, you know, you just stand away a little bit but still close enough to be able to talk and to communicate. With your interaction with all these readers, is there something that you've been told that's happened that's really rocked your world? I've got a very good friend who downloads global information and she just checks in every now and again to see that, you know, what's happening with us in the future uh, or in whatever. And so it's quite nice to have confirmation from her occasionally. She'll just say, I'll see you at 60th or we'll see this or we're going to be doing this together. Um, But again, it's what it is as it is. And I believe that everything that we go through is our journey at the time. And we've preordained it, if that makes any sense. Like we're having this discussion now again because we've done it (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) you've started reading and you're doing more of it what got you into that then i kind of got pushed um i've been reading with my aura camera since 2013 i think i bought a camera then because um i just always knew i'd read but didn't think i'd read with cards and that was something that um just happened i suppose and the finances happened because they're quite expensive to buy And that was a whole story in its own right. But um, it was, I could not hide behind it, but the fact is that it's scientifically proven that colours signify different things. So I could do that. And then I started pulling cards with my readings with that as well. But I write my readings, which is quite different to how most people do. And then over the years, being the face of the shop, I've often been asked for people, do you do readings? No, 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 go and see these other people. And eventually I've decided that I really needed to step up and do it. And it is just it a feels comfortable. It is because you're taking ownership. Well, you've got to take ownership that what you're saying, some people will just take it and make their own decisions on it. But you do get some people who, if you say, oh, you're going to sneeze tomorrow, they'll go and sneeze tomorrow. And you don't want that. And a very good friend of mine, who's a very good friend of mine now, and but when I first bought the shop, so Susan Skyring, is my mentor and way back she said to me you know sometimes you have karmic journeys and this is my karmic journey this time around whether it works or not it's irrelevant it's where you're meant to be and so that was really cool way back then and it's given me the confidence just to do what I feel right about and it evidently works because we have a very successful business and people love it which is they don't just come in because they have to buy a crystal they come in because they want to be in the space. What surprises you about those readings that you do do? Do things come up that you go, wow, and then you see it actually come off? It's nice when somebody walks away and says that it was confirmed what they, what was happening in their life at the time. I'm still only a, a, a year into reading face-to-face with people because it's quite different. It's easy to get caught in somebody's persona when you're sitting opposite them, whereas with the Aura camera, you take the photograph and they go away, so you're not with them. Um, but you can interact a lot better, and it's 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 always it's their reading, not mine. So, and that's what all readers will tell you, is that it's it's the person's reading, not the reader's reading. And often they don't remember anything unless it's something specific, anyway. Um, but it's 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 fun. I love it, and I say to people, come and have a play. And if it doesn't make any sense, don't give me any money. <laughs> and that's what they do. <laughs> Most of them pay me, which is nice. <laughs> Where do you see yourself then in the shop and what you're doing in five years? Probably still doing the same thing I'm doing now. It's been 16 years. We've had a little bit of a break for a while, but it's, I've come back, I've got um, Woody's involved, my husband as well, and he's very good in there. He's there today, thank goodness. Um, but it's, it's a lot of fun and you meet such a huge array of, of people. Um, and because I don't just go into the shop every day, I do so many other things as well, uh, that... I can't see why it wouldn't continue to work. Let's talk about some of those other things. You're right into family history. I am. And you're heavily into the Gympie Family History Society. I have been in the past. I'm having a break at the moment from them. What attracted you to that and what have you learned from that? Uh, My dad started doing family history about 35 years ago and I was helping him back in the days where it was great big box computers and microfiche and things. And so I caught the bug, I suppose, then. 
and I've just continued it on. Unfortunately, he had um, Alzheimer's, and so all of the work that he did, basically, he was going to press a button and delete it uh, after 25 years of researching. Yeah, so I managed to get the files for that. Um, but it's, I think it's just like doing a big jigsaw puzzle, and that's what I really like about it. I like the, not the dates, it's the bits and pieces that you can find about people. And yes, I do my own, but I love helping other people discover theirs, and that's what I do as well. What are most people looking for when they do their search in the family history side of things? I think it's a sense of history. It's a sense of belonging. Um, I've done one recently where the lady believes that about three generations back, the lady was a stolen generation, Indigenous lady in Victoria. We're still working on that. It's very, um, it's hard when you're not actually Indigenous yourself, as far as I'm aware, I'm not. Um, So it can be quite tricky because they want to speak to the person themselves, but... Uh, that lady can't doesn't have the facility to be able to to make the inquiries herself. So as a third person, it's quite tricky with that. There is a lot of assistance for people who are following though for themselves. I've just found that out. Um, but I think it's just a sense of um, of belonging, of knowing where you come from and what the cultures are that make us up. What about people though that go to say myself? I know no one past my mother. We might have to talk. <laughs> <laughs> but when you get a when you get a dead end like that, oh. what do you do? <laughs> um, some people will go to no, uh, like they'll just keep spending money trying to find that out. But there's so many lies, mistruths, people change names, they move quite a bit more than what we think it, going back. Um, people vanish for no reason or for no reason that we know of. You know, there's lots of family secrets that nowadays... You know, often you get different um, fathers for different children in different families, and it's and it's just acceptable. It's just what happens now. But going back even two generations, that wasn't acceptable. And so you often hear of stories where the person that they thought was actually their sibling, um, their sibling, is is not, or you know, different things like that. There's quite a lot of stories with those sorts of things. More skeletons coming out because of the internet. Ah, uh, yes and no. DNA, I think, is throwing up a few. Um, I've recently found a cousin that I didn't know existed, which was really nice. How was the connection there? Um, the lady did her DNA and um, it came up as a, a first cousin. And um, I know my cousins. We have a very small family. And so that was quite interesting. So luckily for her, she managed to connect to somebody like myself who is active on my tree, on Ancestry, and also could tell her family story, whereas a lot of people have that um, they find DNA connection but then the people don't want to know about it or they don't know about it, they say it's not true or the person's past, things like that. So, yeah. Do you find much of that where people don't want to know? Um, yes and no. It depends on how it's brought about too. Some people believe that they have the right to the information. My father was like that. So I'm still now even getting, oh, I was approached by this man and he just, and I said, no, that's okay, he's my dad. And no, I'm not like that. So if you'd like to share, that would be lovely. But if you don't, that's fine. Um, but I was able to share information with my cousin on my maternal side. Um, I was able to actually supply her with a photograph of her father and things like that, which she'd never had, a, had any information on before. So even though they don't have a relationship, she is now part of our family. And we haven't met her yet, but we will. Must and be pretty powerful. Oh, it is, because I feel very connected to her. Um, she is on my Facebook, so I need to be mindful. <laughs> um, but I'm looking forward to meeting her down the track. And it was so nice, because we didn't have any cousins on my mother's side. And now we do, which is really cool. With the, with the searching, what are the interesting things that you found out when you went through your history? Uh, myself? Um, I have a brick wall, definitely. Um, I am asked a lot by very many people if I'm Indigenous. I have an Indigenous heart and a very strong connection to country, which we've talked about in the past. Um, I haven't physically proven it yet. My DNA doesn't show anything. Um, But that doesn't mean that it's not there. Um, And my maternal great-grandmother, I think it is, I I haven't been able to follow that story through. So if there is anywhere, that's where it'll be. And the stories that they came through from the Jinjin Bundaberg area um, and moved to Sydney. So who would know? We're still working on it down the track somewhere. It'll pop up. I think it's that which is interesting. I found stories about my, mainly on my maternal side, but down through, you know, early, they came in as convicts. So I have a convict, which is very exciting, even though he was a silly one. (laughs) He forged a wrong note. (laughs) 
if you're going to forge a note, forge one that actually is right. What happened? From what I can gather, he just forged a note and put the wrong number on it. <laughs> there wasn't a number like that in the notes. <laughs> I know, an idiot. <laughs> uh, explain. Well, he was in Ireland in 18, 1820s, roughly. He got sent out for forgery. And I believe the story in the paper from memory, because it's a while ago now I've looked at it, was that he was done for forgery but that it was actually also a, a note that, or a, a coin or whatever it was that wasn't actually a valid number. So it's like saying that there was a $6 note, not a $5 note, from what I can gather from the story. But he got sent out, and so the story from there is that... We've, I've lost a bit of track with him as well, but he was in Sydney. What did you find out about him? Not a lot. Again, the, some of it can be quite tricky because names are common as well. Um, there's a lot of other families that are following the same name and so some of them have put different people together that I don't think are mine but it's their research and who's to say that I'm right and they're wrong or the other way around. Um, but yeah, he was in Sydney in 1840s and he was a stonemason which um, is quite interesting because you can drive along down there and see buildings that were built and he would have been there and may have worked on them which I find really exciting. Have you checked him out? No, because he was a stonemason. He you know he wasn't anybody famous or he was a strong Irish Catholic and it was really nice because I did some research for a lady up here that I is a a good friend of mine and it turned out that her family and my family were at the same church in Sydney at the same time so they would have known each other and that's going back into the um, 1840s. Must give you chills. That was awesome. (laughs) That was really cool. So when you're doing these sorts of things and you found out about uh, a convict uh, in your ancestry, what has it taught you? Do you, think you, you? do you think we keep traits along the family line? Well, I'm not a forger, so this is a good thing. <laughs> um, we probably do. I don't really connect through very strongly to that side of the family. Um, it was quite a um, disjointed family. My father's side was Scottish and English, and I probably connect more to that side. Um, they actually came from the same place as the Endeavour was built. So that was pretty nice to find that out. So it has a really strong connection that, you know, the first ship that came here was actually built in the place where my ancestors were living at the time. So that was quite nice. You talk about that sense of belonging, but it must make you really proud and and. and uplifting to be able to track back and trace that far back yeah a lot of people go a lot further back um i've only probably gone back to late 1780s and things like that um there was a lot of things where they there weren't any surnames and so i think some of it um can be a little bit of not guesswork i'm not saying that it's not but it can be quite tricky to actually prove that that person in that register is definitely that person because a good genealogist will have three points of contact. Very hard to do with Australian in particular because there's not always... I can't find birth certificates for some of my family. So I know that they were born and this is the story, but I can't 100, 100% prove it. But it's proof to me. Mm. The websites like Ancestry.com, mm-hmm. how are they in the whole process? Are they effective? Are they value for money? I think they are. Initially, I didn't want to ever pay for anything because why should I? Um, But then I saw some really amazing information that a gentleman at the Family History Society actually found when he first joined up. And he had English parents that went to India and were involved in wars and things like, you know, they were soldiers and things. And the amount of paperwork information that he could find from Australia from that time was just phenomenal. And I just thought, well, there's something in this. So then I joined up. I've been a member for a long, long time now. I have the World cons- um, subscription. But some of the information you can find, but you have to be very discerning. You don't just copy along because somebody else has put it in. You need to be able to verify where the information came from. So it can be fun for people who are just playing and learning and things like that. But some people are very protective of their product and of their information. Me, I think we should share photos. I'm ha- I love it when I find a photo for somebody on a, f- a site. But that means that I need to be prepared to share my photos as well with them. You can't just take and not share. So that's how I feel about that. Is there much of that that going on? There can be. People get very particular because they've paid the money to get this and and that's fine. But then don't access somebody else's stuff is how I basically believe. If you're going to not share your information, 
don't pull in anybody else's information either or don't don't look at other people's trees just do what you're doing but there's some amazing information and people can connect together um, that are working on same trees that they didn't even know that they were connected which is cool you had a convict past Mm -hmm. was that a surprise when you started um not really I don't think because I think we just assume nowadays that if you're going back into those times that you're going to have one um, there wasn't on my dad's side. They came in in the 1900 or whatever. Um, but, yeah, it was quite interesting. It, it, it led me down the story of another gentleman who has the same name, also from Ireland, because the last name is Minton. So it's mainly Minton, China is what most people know of, and that's English. So everybody wants to be connected to Minton, China, because there might be some money in it. No, we got the Irish ones, and there's not many of them. And there was another guy with the same name who came out as well as a convict. He was one of the Irish rebels and he came out in 1802 though. And that was quite interesting because we thought that he was our guy, but he actually wasn't. So I have a partially written book about him because his story is amazing. It's just not mine, (laughs) unfortunately. (laughs) Do you find many people do search their family tree looking for that pot of gold? Oh, no doubt, no doubt. Um, This gentleman who was not our line, as it turns out, he had land in Barrack Street in Sydney and died with no will. So he could have... And then out at Windsor, big farm at Windsor and things like that. So potentially there could definitely have been some money there somewhere. And I know that uh, there has been a family person go back who was the historian in the family who was trying to prove connection, definitely. Do many people find that... Not that I'm aware of, but I don't know. I don't know. You know, as I say, people are looking for money. There's one guy I know that, uh, can't remember, he's in rural Queensland, I think, mm-hmm. and he claims he's tied in with the, the royal family. Oh, okay. Um, do you find many people looking for that sort of thing? You do get a lot of people that either connect through to royal... They, they, oh, I've got a royalty. Like, girl, <laughs> there's lots of people connected to royalty from both sides of the sheets. And, <laughs> the, yes... <laughs> <laughs> there is. Um, and they have their tree already documented. I can think of nothing worse than somebody coming up to me and saying, here you go, here's your tree. For me, it's the journey. It's it's your own searching and looking and finding. And just because somebody's done it doesn't mean they've done it right. The one that put us onto the wrong tree was published. And that's why we thought, oh, well, it must be correct because she was published in the local book. And it turns out that it actually wasn't the correct family because he died with no children. So it can't be. Um I don't lots of people try and claim royalty and good luck to them i think it's much more exciting my husband's family goes back into a bunch of cricket bat makers cricket bat makers yeah <laughs> i had to think about the right words uh, but how awesome is it to be able to be good enough at something like that to support your family it's making amazing. cricket bats yeah so any other surprises that you found when you've looked through your genealogy we had some really sad stories i had a, a gentleman who was um basically a, not a very nice person I'm the only one in the family who's ever be, um, visited his grave. And he was buried as a pauper. He was he died homeless under Piemont Bridge in Sydney. Um, but he wasn't a very nice person from what I can gather from other family stories. Um, so, yeah, you get that, which is a little bit of sadness. And I just think that things like that are... There's not reasons... It's not, not excuses for how people are, but there's reasons as to why people are like they are. What sort of happened. things was he doing? His sister-in-law, I suppose she would have been, on her deathbed basically wrote down that her sister had married a rotter. (laughs) So when somebody writes that about somebody, then it means that they're probably not a very nice person. And, yeah, he was an alcoholic, which is so be it. You don't know why or what the story was. You don't know what his upbringing was. So I think there's just reasons why why people are like they are. Do people learn from turning the clock back and looking to where they've come from? We do find that. Um, quite a lot of people will stop something from coming forward into the current generation. Um, Sometimes things like incest, unfortunately, um, abuse of different ways. It's almost, it's not that it's acceptable, but it's normal in their lives. You know, they grew up way back through the generations with dad giving mum a clip around the year or the kids being locked in rooms or horrible, horrible things. And because that's what the children grow up with, that's what they believe is normal. So then sometimes that can carry through. Even though they know it's not normal, it's what they're used to. And so it's acceptable. And 
we do, I find particularly through my shop as well, we find that a lot of people have gone, just put the foot down and said, no, that's not happening. I'm not allowing that to continue through. So it's a healthy thing to look backwards. Oh, I think so. Mm. You talk about the uh, the relative that was buried under the Piermont Bridge. Will you go and check out his grave? I've actually been there. He was buried in Rookwood, so in a pauper's grave. What did you feel when you went and checked out his grave? Knowing I was the only family member who went there with Woody, my husband, um, was pretty powerful for me because he is still part of my background even though he might not have been at very I don't know him but he his genes as long as he was the father of my whatever um as the best of my knowledge uh, which sounds awful but you know we've got no guarantees that just because they're written on a birth certificate that it is actually how it was um then his genetics have still come down through into my family so I suppose I just honoured the fact that he was part of our makeup. Doesn't mean I'm going to go and do the things that he. I'm not a rotten person, but yeah, I just think sometimes we need to acknowledge the fact that we people all have lives and stories. You've checked out that grave, but mm-hmm. you also check out graves as a as a rule. <laughs> you do cemetery tours. I do. What got you into that in the first place? I grew up in New Guinea, and we used to go up past the trail to the beginning of Kokoda and as a child I didn't know what that really signified but I know it was a special place and the Bamana war cemetery up there I remember it just being a very peaceful place which sounds bizarre because it's a cemetery but it was always very well ordered it was very lush very green all of the white headstones for the military it was just a very beautiful place to go and that was as a child and I think that's probably what inspired me to find a fascination with it. There's lots of people that love cemeteries and it's for the history. It's acknowledging the people that were there. What do you learn by doing these cemetery tours and what have you learned and what do people learn? We learn that there's everyday people and everybody has a story um, that you can't take any day for, for granted. You never know what's going to happen around the corner. But I think that just the, just honouring the history, just the fact that, that people have lived and died and that that's what happens. I think it's a bit sad now because we have so many cremations which I completely understand and that's my choice down the track eventually but we don't have the memorials that we had so we're going to end up having no cemeteries down the eventually I think because there's less and less people being buried and the headstones are getting smaller and less ornate and nowadays they also don't have a perpetual grave site like before you used to be able to buy you bought the grave site and that's where your family stayed forever family plot now it's not it can be 25 years and if that's not renewed it's reused which i think is awful in australia there's no excuse for that we've got enough land do you think that we should be having more that's room? what i believe yeah if if something heaven forbid happened to somebody that you care about and there's no room here where you live for that person to be interred and the closest was going to be i don't know roma or something like that then you might not be happy about it, but you would do it. I know I would prefer to do that than have somebody else's family member have them put on top or, you know, I don't know what they do, but it's just awful. I just think we have enough land here in Australia for it not to be happening. You want to be cremated. Why did you? Not something I'm looking forward to, by the way. (laughs) Hey, it happens. I know. It's it's, uh, death and taxes, as they say. Why did you make that choice? That's an interesting one. It's not something that I think a lot about. Because you do, you're doing the cemetery I know. Tours. It's the history, see. It's the history of it. And I'm hoping that I've probably, with technology and things now, my name is everywhere. It's not hard to find me. I'm just hoping that somewhere down the track that there'll be a little bit of a legacy. I've written some books and things like that. Um, I'd just like people to remember me as being a nice person, really. And I don't have children, so it's not like there's, I'm not carrying on the line. But um, I just, it's for me, it's the history. I love the ornate headstones and those sorts of things yeah it's not actually the burial or not but yeah I don't like the idea of a burial personally well that's an interesting thing because you are sort of so into it why have you gone the other way then do you think that you as I say people could come back and look at your legacy in 50 years (laughs) no they'll be virtual by then (laughs) there still is now actually I don't know it's it's just something that I don't have any desire for a burial not that I'm again I don't even want to go there but no, I'm going to be scattered over on Fraser. Are you allowed to say that? On Fraser Island, I'm hoping. Somewhere nice, yeah. Why Fraser? 
I just love the trees over there. Great what, big apple engulfers. What's so special about Fraser Island for you? Apple engulfers. <laughs> I think that's what they're called. Great big beautiful gum trees. What's your favourite place in the world? Oh, goodness. I'm fairly attached to Winton, which is a funny thing because it's a little tiny town. Well, it's not that tiny, but I love it out there. Um, that would probably be my... If I was on my own, and I'm not, and if it was a different time, I would probably be living there. Um, but I go to visit, and I love it out there. I just love the big open spaces out there. Um, but otherwise, it would be Fraser Island under the Unnapolis <laughs> Gophers. You talk about Winton. What's the attraction? Dinosaurs. All right. Now, there was something that we were going to, to move on to because it's sort of related in a way that you're looking backwards again. Is it part of your makeup to investigate? Well, I only just realised during the week, week that one of my family names I'm searching for is Minton. And when you Google it, it comes up with Winton, which is really cool. <laughs> I only just noticed that during the week. Um, I think it's, it's, not the, it's not the history of it. It's the process because I go out and prep dinosaur bones with the Australian Age of Dinosaurs and it's the process and the people more than the I don't know much about the dinosaurs if I was quizzed on them I'd be hopeless I know basics but I think it's just the process and doing something that I like to do I like the fact I go out on my own and do it and it's a long way away it's two days drive each way which I really enjoy and it's just you go out there and you just feel like you're part of the family which I love. Digging for dinosaurs what sort of people are attracted to that sort of thing? What what people do you meet when you go out and do it? Oh, well, I've done three dinosaur digs over the years. I started in 2009 and I was very fortunate because my first dig was Matilda and Banjo and that they're very well recorded as being um, a very significant find because the two different dinosaurs were in the billabong together and the, one of them, Banjo, is our first meat-eating dinosaur so he's much better than T-Rex but not enough people know about him. And so I was very fortunate, so I was able to be on that dig, which was really cool. And then I've worked on pieces of Matilda in the laboratory later on. So I actually have a piece, because my aunt comes with me sometimes when she can fly in from New Zealand, and we've both worked on um, these bits, and they click together and they're on display, which is really nice. So that's something that we've been able to work on together. Um, it's just the process of every bone's different. The people that are up there running it are amazing. And the people that come through as tourists in through the, through the museum actually get to talk to somebody who's physically doing it. And I don't know how many times I've had people going, oh, my God, you're from Gympie. I know you, which is really nice too because they don't expect to see somebody out there doing that from Small where world. they come from. Oh, absolutely. So what got you into dinosaur digging and in, in the first place? Time Team. <laughs> Doesn't everybody watch Time Team? But we don't really do archaeological digs like that here um, because we're only 200 years old. And so the next best thing was to dig in the dirt. I just needed to dig in the dirt for some reason. And it was actually their first publicised dig was 2009. And the choices at the time was either Winton and Outback. And I'd grown, I'd done some time in Mount Isa as we know and um, out that way so I knew that I loved that area. The other ones that were on offer at the time were from memory down in Victoria on the shoreline in caves on little tiny fish. So I went to Winton because it's hot and I love it and it's outside and I don't do caves real well. <laughs> what do you experience when you are digging for dinosaurs? What's the feeling? My very first bone that I ever found, which I actually broke, um, <laughs> it was only a little, it's a process. <laughs> um, it was pretty cool because you're the only person who's ever seen that before, ever. Um, and then it's very quickly wrapped up and put away. So it doesn't come out then again until somebody's prepping it in the laboratory. Um, it was, it's, a, it's a community thing in that there's 13 people on a dig. Um, they do three a year, I think. But the first one I did, there was four four ladies I think it was ranging in age from 65 to 80 that were all out there digging in the dirt one of them with her gold lame shirt and her gold jewelry and she would ask the gentleman the young the guys can you empty the bucket now please everybody else is emptying their own bucket but she's getting them to do theirs um, so I just thought that was really nice that there's these amazing women who have done archaeology as well that are out there digging in the dirt in the middle of Australia looking for dinosaur bones. What do you learn from the archaeologists that you're dealing with out there? 
that they throw mussels away. <laughs> I was digging out this really lovely little shell. That I thought, oh, this is cool. And he goes, oh, yeah, over the top. <laughs> so you see, see many of them. Um, they're very, very um, uh, free to share their information with you. They're happy to, once you've proven that you're there all the time, not just a fly-in, fly-out person. And so you get to know them a little bit. Um, you're spending a week with them on a dig so I've done three digs and they're all different digs and my aunt's done two so I'm an official dugger now because I've done more than one dig. (laughs) You're going back again this year in a little while? Six weeks but not counting. (laughs) (laughs) What are you looking forward to? I think it's because I have been going now since 2015 on my own like out to this to do the prepping which is what I'm doing because I'm not doing any more digs now and I just, I love the process. We go and we work from 9 o'clock till 5 or 4.30. You have breaks. You sit and have smoker with everybody. You're chatting about what's going on. You're talking to the people coming round that are on tours. And it's just so totally different to my everyday life here, um, which I love. But it's just different. And it's just something that I do every year. And I, if I can't do one one year, it's really hard. COVID knocked it last year because I was due to go up in April and I couldn't get up there till September. So that was a very long six months. <laughs> Back to COVID, how does it affect the, the digs when you're out there at the moment? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think they did any digs last year. Um, the laboratory was shut from April till September. My name was the first one on the list in September when they opened again. Um, but they're, And, of course, they're limited with their number of people they can have come through. And they're all not-for-profit foundations, so they rely on grants and people in the door. So they've had to socially distance and do all the and wipe down between every and all those sorts of things which they do. It's just instead of running, you know, I don't know, however many tours every half an hour or every, you know, they've had to space them out. So and people have to book now. So there's people that can't go out because they don't book, and then they can't get in because the tours are limited in numbers. Is it a burgeoning industry, the tourism side of it? Oh, huge! It's just so amazing to see what it's done for outback Australia particularly in that area but there's lots of other ones happening as well now too around the other areas are there any other sites that you've gone to other than winton to look for dinosaurs no i get a bit stuck where i I love it out there so that's where i go i believe aramanga has a really good setup as well it's a bit more isolated but they have the biggest dinosaur in australia out there which is clancy i think and there's riversley a lot of people know about riversley it's a, a different again they actually uh, I was just talking to somebody yesterday about it. Um, they dissolve in a mild acid, I think, rather than actually prepping. So whereas we are sitting at a desk with a drill prepping rock off bone. Totally different process. You talk about that first one that you found mm-hmm. and it broke. What happens when those sorts of accidents do occur? They should actually have dinosaurs on superglue because they superglue things together. Um, but, yeah, the process basically is that they, you know, you dig through the clay on that particular one um, with a, um, you know, probes and things like that. Then there's a concretion around the outside of the bone because the bone is softer than the rock and that's what you're actually bringing up is the concretion. So the bone's inside it. The, the plan is that you don't see the bone. Unfortunately, my very first one, I was a little heavy-handed and I went through it but nothing that they couldn't put back together again. And sometimes they do actually break the bones so that they can realign them because the dirts move them so that they can't actually align properly. Go through the process of the preparation that does go. Once you've found a bone, what happens? You sort of say they go through it in the lab. What happens then? Well, um, out on the site, they um, put... Oh, gosh, I've got to get... It's been a few years now. They put a lot of tin foil around things. They use hessian. They make a cast, just like a paper mat, like a cast with... A, so they do that, they write the number on it as to what the dig site is and what the individual number of that piece is so they know where it was in the site. Then it gets, tra- and then they break it off, well, not break it off, they, they turn it over and do the other side. Then that gets put onto a um, pallet back at the laboratory and they've got shipping containers of stuff. They've, they can be prepping for the next hundred years and never get it all done because it's all done by volunteers. And then they'll decide on if there's something that's a little bit different. They're working on a really beautiful piece at the moment called Judy. They're trying to work on finish, getting her finished because she's the most complete sauropod, I think, in Australia at the moment. So they work on pieces that are graded to the person's skill as well. So some people do really fine work. Some people do big, bulky work. Um, and then they just, yeah, sit you at the desk and oh, here you go, away you go. They keep a good eye on you. They, there's a lot of very experienced preppers out there. And so they just come and go as they please. They've got to book in. But, yeah, so they, they know that they're pretty on the ball. Uh, but a lot of superglue. 
and a lot of aldite. Because <laughs> you're talking about what happens to them once once the bones have been prepped and they've been sorted and mm-hmm. processed. And what happens then? They write they write papers again. The scientific side of it, I'm not really sure about, um, but they write papers and they identify them because there's such a a new world in the dinosaurs in Australia that you might have three different from what I gather and hope they're not listening but you might get three different I don't know leg bones or something like that and they'll be from three different types of animals because they're different even though it's the same type of animal they'll be different it's like birds you know you have emus and chickens they've got same type of bones but different bones if that makes any sense so they write papers about them and things like that and identify them professionally and scientifically and all those things but then they actually go on display in the hologram holotype room up there so what you see up there is the actual bones, not copies, which is what most museums do. Do you get a real joy out of checking out, say, natural history museums? Oh, I like to go and do that, but I don't make a lot of time to do it. I'm not a dinosaur buff. I just like the process. And with that process, what are you still left to do? What do you want to do? Is there something that you haven't done that you are looking to try and achieve? Not really I just again I love the process I'm quite happy to work on a great big piece where you can actually see the work being done some girls or some people up there mainly ladies work with really really fine and they're moving literally one grain at a time of sand and that's great for a little while but I like the slightly bigger pieces <laughs> you can see what you're doing <laughs> what's the biggest piece that you've found uh, found oh, I can't remember now because it was a long time ago and usually it's a joint effort everybody's working on the same site at the same time so it's not like you just walk along and find a bone generally um but prepping um i've worked on a really long leg bone of one of them which was probably from the end of the table to about here so quite a long so you can see how tall the animal would be and i believe there's also mergen way there's there's um some in the uh, in our area is that is that correct that we've got some around here as well um it, Possibly. I've, somebody said that the other day as well. I don't know. I don't keep abreast of all of that. I just love Winton and go to Winton. I get tagged in lots of things because people know that I'm interested in it. So often if they've found something a bit weird or they read something, they tag me in it on Facebook, which is lovely. Um, but I, it's a different um, uh, type of ground, I believe. Like it was an inland sea up there. So it's a cretaceous i think oh gosh it's a cretaceous and it's actually the winton formation is what is what they are finding things in up there so it's a very specific layer now you've written a couple of books (laughs) i'm published author well tell us about those (laughs) that was for the family history society and i was working with a, a couple of the girls up there and we put together a series of books on gimby's great war so there was six books i think written and it's written through the eyes of the Gimpy Times because it was, it's been going since then. And it was the effect of the war on the local environment, but it's also the story of every one of those men that went, oh, and women, not so many women, but it was 1,400 of them, I think, that all enlisted. And so it was what was going on in the paper at the Times, their stories, their families, if we could find them, little adverts. Yeah, very proud of them, actually. What did you learn? That there's lots and lots of stories out there and it's amazing how many people actually have connections to diggers that they don't know that they've got. Are you surprised by that? You found a convict in your past mm. and people sort of often don't know about these sorts mm. of things. Mm. What would you say to someone that's thinking about having a look in their past? Give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> I love to research with people so that they can learn to do it as well. That's what I really enjoy. Um, but I think go for it but just don't trust everything just because it's easy doesn't mean it's right Um, be very discerning as to what you're finding and if you think that there's a gut instinct that it is correct put it aside and come back to it from now what what do you do in your spare time you're obviously uh, (laughs) spare time (laughs) you're fairly well known in the community what's Mm -hmm. something that you do or interests you that people don't know about Oh, gosh, I'm a pretty much open book. Um, We built a house just recently, so I've found that I really have enjoyed the gardening process. Not that I'm a big, avid gardener, but I like the fact that I've created a garden um, and that most things seem to have survived and are growing, which is really nice. Um, I dot, I do art. I've actually just had a commission, which is really exciting, for a book that's being researched at the moment here, um, which was very exciting. I'm very pleased that that's an option. 
Can you describe the process of you say you dot? Yeah, it's funny because a lot of people assume that dotting is Indigenous. And yes, a lot of Indigenous people do do it, but it's actually not solely Indigenous. It was only brought in, I think, about 70 years ago here, give or take. Um, but there's lots of other nationalities and cultures, and I just do it because I love the formation of it, I love the process of it. It's quite meditative, so, and I love colour combinations. So, yes, if you've got any Marcona Joes, I'm happy to have them. <laughs> So you're doing dots. What Talk about the uh, commission that you did do. What did you come up with? Oh, a very well-known gentleman in our community is researching a book on Mary Valley turtles, on the Mary River turtles. And he comes into the shop quite frequently. And uh, he was looking at some of my work because I have a bit of my stuff in the shop. And he just said, oh, would you like to do, I can, would you like this? And I went, mm, okay. So I went away and created what I thought the Mary River would look like in dots. And he saw it the other day and thought it looked quite nice. It's not finished yet, but um, it's going to have a, a page in his book perhaps, which is a bit, a bit nice. <laughs> are you constantly evolving then as a person, do you think, from um, where you started? We all are. Everybody does. And if you're not, then why aren't you? Do things that make your heart sing. Apart from uh, dinosaurs, cemetery tours, <laughs> expos, your shop. Retreats. I run women's retreats. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about those. What do you do at your women's retreats? Are they just for women? Yes, they are. Why is that? Because once you put um, a gentleman in the mixture, it changes the dynamics. And we focus on, on busy women who often don't take time out for themselves they're running around doing work housework children never ever stop and take time for themselves so a very good friend of mine and myself we've been doing them since 2013 we go up to Woodgate Beach which which is beautiful and it's literally they're called relaxing retreats and that's what we do we encourage them just to stop they're not allowed in the kitchen it's the first rule two rules out of the kitchen and what stay happens on retreat stays on retreat so they feel that they can actually talk to people, discuss stuff that might not be normally discussed at home, not running around after children or husbands or partners or whatever it might be. And we do some craft and lots of time on the beach. And sometimes they have nanny naps, which is quite lovely. And, yeah, it's nice. Do you find that too many people do give too much of themselves Definitely. and they need that? Definitely. In, in what way? Um, a very wise lady said to me many, many years ago, it's fine to water everybody else, but if you don't water yourself, you can't water them. And I thought that makes so much sense. If you don't look after yourself, then how can you possibly be running around looking after everybody else because you run out of oomph? Where do you get your oomph from? <laughs> I can't sit still. <laughs> That's basically what it is, I think. I just like to be doing things. I like to be planning things. I seem to be a fairly good organiser, so um, I just like to put together things. You do more, though, from, from when I first met you, the organisation and the promoter side of you seems to have really taken hold. Is that something that you planned or is it something that's evolved? No, it just happened. I turned up, I, I went to an event up in Maryborough when I first bought my Aura camera and um, a lady up there was putting, had put together a small event and it was only small at the time because it was in a very small venue and it was the first one I'd ever really been to and I thought, that's pretty cool. And she had put a lot of work into the paperwork and everything was dotted and crossed and it was awesome. She just did a really, really good job. And I just said to her, it's something that I might be able to do down here, is that okay if I use your brain and, and go from there? And she's like, yeah, sure. So if, so from 2011, we started doing our expos, um, Energy and Wellbeing Expos. It's changed names a few times. And so in a good year, I'll do five. Um, we've just been approached by... ISIS RSL in Childers to maybe look at doing one up there as well. So we do Gympie, Harvey Bay and Maryborough normally. Is mm. it a growth industry? Well, my events tend to be around the through 300 people roughly, give or take. But it's a nice thing because people pay to come in the door $5 and they want to be there. So we get lots of people that come and loiter for the whole day and they just chat to people and have a wander and a look and... Um, yeah, I have lovely people who support us with the food. So we have fantastic ice cream and we have a really lovely food van that comes along and a coffee van. And I tend to use the same people because I know that I can trust them to turn up. Okay, so what about people with what you're doing you with your shop, with your expos? There's a lot of beliefs that you're promoting. What about people that don't believe? They that don't it, come. 
But what, what if they do? What do you say to them? Good luck. Enjoy. I had one gentleman, because originally we called the expos energy expos. I thought that's what we're doing. We're working with energy. So he came in the door, paid his $5, filled out a form because we do a lucky door prize, um, came past all the belly dancers, all the bright lights, all the flags, all the colour, enjoyed himself, wandered round and left. And then I sent a little email out to everybody just saying, thank you very much for attending. That's really lovely. And he said, can you please take me off your mailing list? I was looking for solar panels. And I just thought, how can you get <laughs> energy? Okay, we need to change the name. So I've then changed it to Energy and Wellbeing Expos now. But that was quite interesting. But he said he enjoyed it. It just wasn't what he was looking for. <laughs> that doesn't answer your question really, does it? It's just that if people come, people aren't going to bother to pay $5 and come in the door if they're not interested, I don't believe. Are we looking for more these days, though, for more meaning, more purpose? Possibly. I don't know. I don't. I just chat to people. But are you finding, say, with the COVID, it's making a lot of people question their their living, their way of life, how they're approaching things? Do you think that we're looking for more answers and more direction and more meaning? I think it's probably given a lot of people more time to think, to look at what actually makes them feel happy, to appreciate their family more and their friends and to appreciate their own time and their own space a lot more. Um, I know that a lot of people suffered very hard in isolation. Um, I've got a, it's been beneficial for a lot of people too though. I've got a very, very good friend who doesn't do own space very well. And so she couldn't work in her environment, which was very full on, and then couldn't socialize, which she's very good at and various other things so she basically sat at home for two weeks on her own or not on her own but in her own space and had may have had one or two drinks and um wasn't very well and found that she had a kidney infection and from that they actually then found that she had a mass and that saved her life if she hadn't have had all of that happen through covid she possibly would not be here now and that's been a blessing for all of us and as you can see, it affects me very strongly. It's my first girlfriend with, with issues. Um, so there has definitely been good things have come out of all of this weirdness as well. I equate it to being a boat in that there's a lot of fear out there, still even now, not as much here, thank goodness, but in the early days there was a lot of fear. And I think it's like a whale boat, you know, when you're on a whale boat and you're going whale watching. And so everybody's looking very quickly to see where's the whale and then suddenly it's like, oh, it's over there. So you go over to that side of the boat to look at that whale and it tilts the boat a little bit because everybody's on one side and so it lets all this to me it, it sort of just lets that weird stuff come out and I think that's what happened a lot with COVID is that it just because everybody so many people were running in fear or judgment or misunderstanding lack there was a lot of lack happened that it just allowed the fear allows for a bit of ickiness to come out it's the only word I can use it, it just it, it fear is very debilitating for a lot of people because it throws everything out of normal they don't know what normal is anymore and to move to a new normal is very hard for a lot of people was there an underlying fear anyway in society possibly I don't know I don't get caught in it I don't I don't fear much so I don't look at that I don't fear people I don't fear things fear is not a big thing not a big part of my life so I don't tend to attract people that are fearful well, let's just hope that you continue to attract the right sort of people Always. into your shop, into yep. your expos, into your retreats. It's been an absolute pleasure to spend some time with you and thanks for joining us over the bonnet, Die Woodstock. Thank you for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Marymark Medical. Marymark Medical is your local medical practice in Gympie, specialising in quality family medical care. Are you always sick? ranging from acute medical issues to management of long-term chronic conditions. When you need to get better, even if you have complex health problems, get the right diagnosis with Marymark Medical. Contact Marymark Medical in Gympie on 54811873 or find them at 18 Young Street. The podcast is also brought to you by Gympie Foam and Rubber, your local store that specialises in foam cup to size. They've got all sorts of good stuff like upholstery and craft foam, even loose spinning foam. The shop is 
packed with things like mattresses and pillows. Ah, not so squeezy. Now, they'll help you get down and dirty and save your feet with rubber flooring and mats, anti-fatigue matting, and they have industrial mats and rubber. If they don't have it, Andrew will get it in for you. Plus, for Over the Bonnet listeners, mention the show and ask for your discount and you'll receive 10% off the price. That's right, 10%. Only for Over the Bonnet listeners when you mention the show and you have to ask for your discount. That's at Gimpy Foam and Rubber. And finally, the show is brought to you by NICAD Earth Moving, that specialises in roadworks, house pads, site cleanups, land clearing, dam construction, even dewatering and swamp drainage. I didn't even know you could do that. They have a 140H grader, which is big, and their Positrack Bobcat is also huge. There's a D65 dozer, three excavators for hire, including a 20-ton, 8-ton, and a 2.5-ton. Plus, they provide side truck hire and even have a roller and a water truck. So contact Carl Dakin at NICAD Earth Moving on 0488 228806 and the earth will move for you.